Hello and welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo and I'm here with Kristen Lepianca. Hello. And we're also joined today by a, a very amazing author, Sarah Flannery Murphy. Sarah is the author of the novels The Possessions and Girl One, which is out June 1st from MCD. She grew up in Arkansas, studied library science in British Columbia, and received her MFA in creative writing at Washington University in St. Louis. She lives in Utah with her husband and their two sons. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thank you for having me on the podcast. We're so excited to have you. And I want to say up front, this episode is... we're so excited about this, um, presented in partnership with Women and Children First, the bookstore in Chicago, which is my favorite bookstore in the world. Um, and so Sarah is doing an event with friend of the podcast, Amy Gentry, on Tuesday, June 8th. We'll put the, up, the link to that in the episode description. It's a virtual event, so you can attend it from anywhere in the world. As with Through the magic things. of the internet. The magic of the internet. Um, so yeah, we'll put that in the description. And um, if you enjoy this conversation today, you should totally go to that event and listen to Sarah and Amy chat. So um, today we're going to be talking, obviously, about Sarah's fantastic book, Girl One, which I got to read a few months ago and write a blurb for. And it's it's amazing. Everyone needs to read it. Um, so we'll talk about that. But we're also going to kind of have a broader discussion about women and power. So um, we'll get into that. But first of all, Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Of course. Yeah. So Girl One is a kind of alternate history. Um, Back in 1971, this controversial scientist helmed an experiment which led to nine women giving birth via parthenogenesis or virgin birth, basically meaning that the women conceived by themselves, that the eggs were fertilized by themselves without like sperm, without male DNA. Um, And this caused a massive amount of controversy. It caused a lot of disgust and fascination until all of this kind of blew up literally um, with a fire that took the lives of the scientist himself and the youngest of the nine girls who was born at the homestead. And our story really opens in 1994 when Josephine Morrow, who is also known as Girl One, the oldest of the nine girls born at the homestead, is in her 20s. She is completely fascinated by her own origin story and wants to return to the interrupted work that her sort of kind of father figure creator was doing that led to her actual birth. And when her mother goes missing, she sets out to find her mom, you know, hopefully find her alive and okay. And that means that she needs to reconnect with the other surviving women who were part of this experiment, which leads her to discover dark secrets and weird parts of her own history that she was not at all aware of, including, um, as it turns out, the fact that she has supernatural abilities, that she has a superpower, essentially. So cool. Um, Yeah, so she has the superpower and then all the other girls guess it's a little bit of a spoiler but they have interesting abilities as well um I mean what I found so interesting about this book was it's you know virgin birth it's like these women are giving birth without a man which like the dream right that you don't need (laughs) a man (laughs) but then because it's this male scientist who created this this technique like he gets all the credit and he's this sort of I mean he is controversial but he's this godlike figure so it's like yeah somehow the penis still gets all the credit (laughs) wouldn't it just (laughs) be that way 
<laughs> Typical. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. I think one of my characters says that at some point that like even though there were no fathers like involved in their birth, like it was still all about him and like his acclaim. Which I I read the um the autobiography of Louise Brown, who was the first he like she was the result of the first successful IVF procedure, which was only in like 1978, which is like nothing at all. It's so oh, recent. Wow. Yeah. yeah crazy. And now I know it's so commonplace now, but back then it was like really controversial. It was really under wraps. Um, and it caused a pretty big uproar actually. And when I was reading it, I was just really struck by how much the focus was on the researchers, the doctors who overlooked this procedure and or oversaw it, not overlooked it. Um, and it was just really striking how the how the mother who went through this was kind of ignored. Like she was putting an amazing amount of trust into this medical procedure that hadn't been tested at all. And it was going to impact like her very body. You know, it was going to have this massive impact on how her family looked in the future. Um, and I was so interested to see how she was kind of a footnote in in this whole story, which was kind of what I was trying to do with Dr. Bellinger as well in the way that he's still like just standing there at the center with like all the spotlights pointing right at him and the way that Josephine has to stop and look and be like, well, I've been complicit in that too. And like, why is this the case? Yeah. The women are treated, they're like treated as vessels almost like they're just the body. And isn't that also incredibly (laughs) common in all sorts of scenarios? Yeah. Right. So what else like inspired this book? Was it mainly reading that biography or like, was there something else that was the spark of the idea? I actually didn't read Louise Brown's autobiography until really late in the process. Oh, cool. Okay. But it was an amazing thing because I could have read it and been like, wow, I got everything wrong, which would have been a very good lesson to me to do my research better. But I actually ended up validated in in kind of doing my research late because so many aspects of her experience kind of tied into what I had already written. Like people were you know, sending her weird letters about how she was a, a freak and like there were tabloid pieces about how she had supernatural powers, which I thought was oh so gosh. interesting because it's like we mess around with reproduction, even in a way that I don't really feel like IVF is that different or that invasive. Like it's just a slightly different way to get to a process that's pretty established. But even that much was like so threatening to people but the original spark of the idea it I've had it in my head for a long time I took a really weird course when I was in my early 20s it was about the history of the body and it touched a lot on reproduction of course and um, just realizing that the theories of reproduction throughout history have been so bizarre and like I understand that of course, they didn't have like the medical technology back then to fully understand what goes on that seems so obvious to us now, even lay people. So I'm like, yeah, of course, it was kind of tricky to 
to really truly understand what was going on when people like had babies and you're just like back I don't know in like ancient times trying to make some connection or some sense of reason out of this but so many of the theories that they came up with didn't seem to really put reproduction at their core like they didn't seem to be going into it like let's actually neutrally figure out what is going on here it seemed to be more like men must be the most important part of this process right and like how exactly are men the most important part and that led to such weird theories and there was there was one that was like fathers are the ones who give the child it's humanity and like it's kind of soul and like if a woman has ideas on her own and is kind of unruly she could conceive on her own but the child you know since it wouldn't have been made appropriately human by a man would be like a monster and over time I just took that idea at first I was very focused on like ooh, like a monster you know as in like werewolves and and vampires and witches which I kind of reference a little bit but it seemed like such a cool idea for a, a more superhero based narrative than than like monsters so in the end I kind of went in that direction with it which which hopefully worked out wow so the soul comes out of the penis. That is yeah. a new one for me. <laughs> right. It's it's pretty on the nose. It's it's a pretty flattering interpretation of what goes on for men and not flattering. Like the power to create new life is something that, I mean, I'm not going to say only women. Obviously, there are, you know, yeah, trans people, definitely. non-binary people. Like, I don't want to speak in yeah. <laughs> the gender binary here. But like, historically, going back, the perception was like only women have this power to create. And men are very threatened by that. And they want to control it in any mm-hmm. way that they can. And there's a lot of like, they want women to have lots of babies, but like, not like that or not like these women are not like they try to put a lot of control around this thing that like we really only need them for one part of it and then like they can fuck off (laughs) yeah yeah there was somebody who was and I cannot remember who the guy is because I have all these names like swirling around in my head but he was experimenting to see if he could create like a fully formed fetus like have a successful pregnancy or a successful gestation I guess I should say by like putting sperm in a bottle and then like putting the bottle inside a fertilizer and I was like are you kidding me like (laughs) you think women can just be replaced by like literal shit it was so upsetting to me I was like I know you're just experimenting and playing around but I think you know, women or like people with uteri are doing like a lot of the legwork here. Yeah, like was that experiment in good faith? Come on, yeah, buddy. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was. I was pretty. Uh, pretty heated up by that one. That is so interesting, and you must have just done wild research for this. Like oh my I gosh. can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was interesting. A little maddening, but um. But at least I got to pour it all into a story that kind of poked holes or like poked fun at them a little bit, which was satisfying. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to talk in this episode about women in power. So I think we'll, we'll definitely talk about a lot of characters who have like superpowers, like the women in your book, but we can just talk about other kinds of power for women too. Um, As I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking a lot about 
this idea of like we talk about women in power it's like something that women don't typically have that we have to take or for it to be like bestowed upon us like the whole idea of women's empowerment like we don't have it so we have to get it somehow I just kind of kept chewing on that or maybe I'm still I'm still salty about I got this Kirkus review for my last book where they said I well, a man, I'm sure it was a man, said, <laughs> I undermined my book's argument for woman power by, like, making all the men in it terrible. And I was no. like, okay, cool. So oh, no. I've been thinking about this since then. Like, woman power is such a condescending term. It's, like, not girl power, but <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, woman power is, like, worse than, like, girl power, which is, like, is. Pink, pink and purple and sparkly. Like, woman power is just, like, ugh. Ugh. It's like when yeah. people say females, it's that's how it feels. Yeah. 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 That yeah. feeling like you need to take a shower after sounds like females. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like you know, the idea of um stories about strong women are so often about a woman having to obtain power, mm-hmm. not about her exploring her power, whether that's a superpower or if that's just like you know, regular everyday real world of having power over something like it's not about exploring that so much as it is like, how did she get it or how did she scheme to get it in many cases or how did she, you know, uncover the truth about herself? Uh, whereas the stories of men in power are so ubiquitous and just everywhere and in every story basically is a story of men with power. Uh, it's never about how they got it. Like they've always just had it. They could be afraid of losing it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I found myself, uh, we'll get into this more when we're talking about specific examples later in the episode, but finding that a lot of the more heroic female characters who have power, obtain power, they're sort of reluctant about it. Like if they have, whether it's actual like magical powers or some sort of political, social power, they're, if they're a good person or a likable person, they're reluctant to use it. They try to like, avoided or like the oh no not me like I don't want to have this kind of power but then they come to embrace it and then the women who are villains are like actively seeking the power or like abusing it or something like that so it almost seems like there's something to that like in order to be a nice lady you can have power but you have to like not seek it like if you accidentally get it then maybe (laughs) if you use it to help others it's okay but (laughs) yeah it's okay if you have it but you have to mostly not use it unless it's in the service of the greater good only lots of lots of stipulations on that power so many rules you just can't win <laughs> no yeah it was um it was tricky writing the book trying to make sure that each of the main characters the ones who we see on like on the page a decent amount dealt with their power in a slightly different way um without being like super spoily kate was somebody who had who felt that it was just like very matter of fact and was, you know, she wasn't even overly curious about how she had it. She was just like, yeah, of course I do. And there's another character, Isabel, who who just like very much embraces it and hopefully is portrayed in like a positive light because I definitely really love her as a character. And Josie, I think, kind of has to come to terms with it a little bit, but I definitely worked through the drafts to make sure that she was really using it in a, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but like in a powerful way and not like kind of underselling it or not allowing herself to enjoy it. I wanted it to have like aspects of, 
a revenge fantasy. Yeah, it's so hard. I don't want to give spoilers either, but the yeah. scenes where she's <laughs> learning to use her power are so great. I was just cheering her on the whole time, even though she's oh, doing glad. some not so well, I don't know. I think she was totally justified and has never done anything wrong. But like some people <laughs> might think she goes a little too far sometimes. Could never be me. Um, but those scenes are really great. I'm glad. Yeah, it was it was uh, tricky to write her and not have in my head all these questions of like, well, if I make her do this, are people not going to be on her side? And like, do I care if people aren't on her side? You know, or do I, I didn't want her to be like a character who felt hesitant or held back or like constantly glancing over her shoulder at the reader to make sure that she was like doing things that they approve of, um, mm -hmm. which I also can find myself doing as an author, like, glancing at imaginary readers for their approval um so I had to make sure not to like pass that on to her as a character and let her feel bolder and make decisions that I wouldn't necessarily make but that I really really enjoyed seeing somebody else make oh that's such a good point about looking over your shoulder at the reader yeah, I feel like definitely. your first book you don't do that as much because you don't know any better and then like each book afterwards <laughs> you're thinking <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> those people and what they're gonna say Yes, you're thinking about all of the emails that you're going to get from people who have strange thoughts that they just really urgently need to share with you personally. This is making me think about, um, you know, the power that writers have in this situation and sort of like the power dynamic between writers and <laughs> yeah. readers. It's like people think, oh, like the author is, well, they think we're all like rich and famous or something, which, um, spoiler <laughs> alert, no. <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of our only power in the situation is just to like not read it or not respond. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely not okay for us to get angry with them and get in a fight with them except that that one lady who like stalked her mean critic and now oh, got a book deal about it <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know it's interesting because like there's this whole um like the different schools of thought about like are our readers the like customer of the author or do authors owe something specific to their readers like mm -hmm. you know george R. R. martin is he ever going to write those books who the fuck knows no. does he <laughs> does he owe them to anyone i don't know and then there was also like you know a couple years ago a really big kerfuffle about um the thriller writer chelsea kane and uh, comic book writer chelsea kane who had some uh thoughts about that her it was her take that she doesn't owe anything to the readers and it was like very controversial to say that but it's like i see where she's coming from absolutely yeah. that is a really tricky question that I grapple with a lot honestly because on the one hand you know I do always try to remind myself how lucky I am to be publishing books and I I know that like readers put an investment of time into them and energy into them and money and I'm totally fine with people speaking as freely as they like oh of course um, yeah, where I don't see it, but then that, but then there's like that blurred boundary. And I don't know if it's different now because of social media or just how like close and immediate people feel. I would be curious to research like how people dealt with readers, you know, in the 1800s. I don't know. Um, or even just like before social media was common, which I, you know, you don't have to go back that far, nearly that far to see that. Angry handwritten letters. Yeah. Like you, would, you would have to go to a lot of effort to send someone an angry handwritten letter back in the day. Like, I think, I mean, when 
when we're in whatever system that we feel powerless in as people, we like lash out in different ways. Like Mm -hmm. another thing I was thinking about in relation to this topic is, um, you know, when women don't have real power institutionally, otherwise they will sometimes resort to like taking power in whatever way they can, like the, you know, mean girl sort of behavior and manipulation, um, using their beauty as a weapon, that kind of thing, all that great stuff that we talk about yes. on this podcast all the time, but it's sort of, uh, it's not real power. And I think that's true of the way people are on the internet too. It's like, we're all so frustrated at everything that's going on in the world and we can't influence it. We can't solve climate change and we can't stop people from bombing other people and we can't end the pandemic. So we just like yell at each other on Twitter about stupid <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes us feel powerful for like one second, but then yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned like using feminine wiles as a power because for a lot of history, that was really the only kind of power that women had access to. Yes. Like, so it's sort of like when we see it now in like in our modern world where things have theoretically improved, we kind of like look, kind of frown on that. But like for such a long time, like that was it. That was what you had. You had your charm. And I think that's so entrenched in everything that we think and do that it just like it comes out in in characters of you know mm-hmm. in books written by men and women your charm and your beauty and your fertile womb married <laughs> <laughs> off to the highest bidder yes <laughs> <laughs> well should we talk about some examples what do you guys have um well i want to talk about captain marvel um mm-hmm. to be clear i really did enjoy that movie so i'm not hating on it but um i feel like she is an example of like a character who like she has she has like ultimate power. She is like unable to be defeated. But for most of the movie, she doesn't even know that because of, you know, stories that men have told her. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And she's been told to, you know, control your emotions. And that's how they taught her to sort of control herself so that they didn't even have to control her. But Mm -hmm. the, the issue with that movie, I feel is there is like so little characterization and she's not even really curious about her power. And maybe that's actually, maybe that's not such a problem because maybe, maybe that's the movie's way of having it not be an origin story. But at the same time, it is an origin story. Mm-hmm. So it's like complicated. Yeah, that's true. She is sort of, um, she doesn't have like as much of a personality as certainly some of the male Marvel characters get to yeah. have like Tony Stark or whatever. Like she's a little right. bit, and they, they portray her as like, she's this soldier who's living on this alien world. And it is sort of, we did that episode when God, when was that last year about strong female, the strong mm-hmm. female character. Yeah. That, that sort of thing where she's not super emotional. She's not, yeah. um, she just like kicks ass and doesn't like get emotionally involved. Right. She falls into that a little bit. Yeah, and I think that, like, it does characters such a huge disservice to have it be, like, power equals not being emotional, not getting involved, because there is, like, absolutely nothing that prevents you from kicking ass while also crying, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just, like... John Wick we, did it. He was so right? sad about that puppy, and then he, he just was, killed all those motherfuckers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if he actually cried, but, like, in his heart, he was crying. In his heart, he was definitely <laughs> we, crying. We were all crying. I'm, I bet if if we re- rewatched that, I think amid all of the splattering blood droplets, there would be a tear or two. Keanu is a very emotionally sophisticated man, so I believe yes, that. Yes, <laughs> and such a gifted actor as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sarah, what about you? What examples do you have? I was thinking a lot of, um, and this is like, I I feel really, really conflicted even bringing Buffy up because I... Let's do it. I don't have like the greatest... Um, emotional connection to Joss Whedon like I feel very very conflicted about him and some of the things I have learned since I loved that series have not been amazing um but when I watched it I feel like I was so 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 just caught up in like you know Buffy herself um that I still regardless of of Joss Whedon like I still kind of have a separate connection to her I guess as a as a character who has kind of taken on a life of her own mm-hmm. um one of the things I was thinking about was like there's a particular episode where she loses her powers and just like watching that episode and how it struck me like how incredibly vulnerable she felt walking around and now I was like well that's kind of how I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of the time um and I can't like when I was writing I don't think when I was writing girl one I think I ended up kind of I guess referencing that scene a little bit in the way that you know whenever I have felt vulnerable there's like a little bit of like a wish fulfillment to it to like imagine having this power that like nobody expects you to have or that nobody would anticipate you having but that is just kind of inherently part of you that that protects you and keeps you safe so in some of the scenes like where Josie first finds out that she has her power and she's just in a really vulnerable situation and then it's just like you know what no and is able to fend that off I kept on thinking about that scene and and how much it impacted me when I first watched it. And like, it sounds sad to say like wish fulfillment fantasy because being able to feel at home in the world and to feel unafraid and to feel trust in yourself and the people around you shouldn't be like, oh, shouldn't be something that's like wish fulfillment. But, you know, I I often feel like without even thinking about it, I modify my behaviors as a, as a woman um, to keep myself safe. And it and it very much is like like kind of a fantasy to have that kind of physical ability to not have to be worried. Yeah, totally. I I'm trying to remember, I think there was some survey or something where they like asked women, you know, if like all the men on earth were gone for twenty four hours, what would you do? And a lot of people were like, I'd go for a jog at midnight. Like yeah. <laughs> I would it's just so sad. walk around yeah. and, you know, go out in the dark with my headphones in and not worry about being mugged or raped. Like, wow, right, what a, what a yeah. concept. Um, yeah, I was a big Buffy fan too. And I feel like we've all, all of us who are a fan of that show or Firefly or any Joss Whedon stuff, it's like, we've all been in an abusive relationship with Joss Whedon Mm. for like decades. And now (laughs) we're finding out what a bad boyfriend he was. Um, but he like fetishizes that image of the sort of fragile looking girl who was actually a kick-ass heroine because it's in Firefly too with River Tam. And I think that's such an interesting... I don't know. It's like an interesting archetype and it is a really potent power fantasy. But for him, I feel like he's getting off on it. Just just a little. No, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's why it's hard to return to it now and look at it through that lens and be like, well, now that I'm older, I'm a little bit less 
taken with some aspects of it, but just that really visceral memory of like wanting to have power in the world still kind of sticks with me, like despite Joss Whedon's best efforts, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that show too, as it's been so long since I watched it, but as I recall, Buffy is like a little reluctant when she first finds out about these powers that she has. She like just wants to be a normal girl at first. And I mean she pretty quickly gets with the program and starts killing vampires. But then um I was thinking about Willow's storyline in season six, yeah. uh, where she is seeking power on purpose and goes very, very, very dark. <laughs> um and has to be like reined in because she has too much power. That's one of the most heartbreaking storylines in the whole show. But I, yeah. I love that whole set of episodes. And I was kind of like, that was another one where it's like, she's doing really bad things and we're supposed to be horrified. But part of me was like, you know what? Those guys deserve to have their skin turned inside out. Like, it's I fine. Mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was always on her side in that. It seems like that should be obvious. I know it's not obvious to everyone. Yeah, she looked kind of rad with the, like, black streaks and, like, (laughs) I was into it. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, one example I wanted to talk about was Shadow and Bone. Have you guys read those books or watched the Netflix show that just came out? I have not. Neither have I, actually. I feel bad admitting that. I am obsessed. I actually already watched the show through twice, and I reread all of the books as well, even though I have so many other things I'm supposed to be doing but (laughs) yeah um so this show is about uh the main character is named Alina Starkov and when it's kind of that classic fantasy thing of where she starts out the series and just thinks she's this normal girl like she's no one and then finds out that she has special powers in this case she can summon the light of the sun which is important in this fantasy world because there's this section of their country that is like overtaken by shadow so she's like the only person who can perhaps fight it and destroy it and she is a character who at first is very disbelieving that she has this power she's very reluctant to use it there's um a scene in the show where she's talking to another character and basically is like I don't want this power like can we give it to some like is there some way to literally transfer this power to someone else who would know how to use it because like that's not me and then the show and the whole book series shows her sort of gradually embracing it a little more but she never becomes fully comfortable with it I don't think in the way that some other fantasy heroines do like it becomes a part of her she becomes more comfortable with wielding it but she's always a little bit like she's not sure how far she wants to go like her ambition stops at a certain point like she's being offered you know like the king wants to marry her and this other guy wants to like rule the world by her side and and whatever and she always seems a little bit like she doesn't want to go there and I I love that about her. I think that's a really important story to tell too. Like you can be powerful, but you don't have to want to like be the queen of everything or like <laughs> rule the country or, you know, like it just, I think she's a great character, but there are some other characters in this story. One in particular, who's my favorite in the whole series, Zoya, who also has magical power. She can control like the wind and storms and everything. And she is, she grows more complex as the series goes on, but in the beginning, she's very much the like mean girl villain. And she is shown as being very confident in her powers and like loving to use them and loving to kind of show off and use them to hurt other people in petty ways. And so that's why she's my favorite, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say, that's very on brand. <laughs> it is. But there's this real, like both of these characters are, I mean, Lee Bardugo is an incredible writer and she doesn't deal in these like 
stereotypical characters like they they become much more complex and you see all these different sides of them but in the first book especially it's very much this like Alina is heroic and Zoya is like the mean girl and it's just to see like that one of them is so reluctant to use her power and having to be kind of convinced um that she needs to do it for the greater good or like for some other reason that's not just about her enjoying it where Zoya is just like fuck yeah I'm powerful I love this like <laughs> it's the kind of energy I need in my life yeah anyway highly recommend if you want to so the Netflix show is only like eight hours of your life but you can also read all the books and that's many many more hours we don't have to think about <laughs> this world that we live in it kind of is like a I guess it's like a superhero like Bechtel test. Like if there are enough women with power, then we're able to kind of see how different women react to it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. put all mm-hmm. the burden on like the one powerful woman who has to, yeah, usually be like super stoic and emotionless and like be a kind of a stereotypical strong woman in this way that is maybe presented more as like what men wish strong women were like and less like what strong women actually are like Mm -hmm. so I think like when there are enough women with power whatever form that takes then it kind of takes the burden off of just one to like represent it and you can have like women who are reluctant with their power or women who will like fully embrace it and it seems to I don't know open up the story or open up the representation of power a little more in a way that I like I did find myself in making notes for this episode though writing a lot of pairs of characters from things and writing I was writing like Alina versus Zoya I wrote um, Jessica Jones versus Trish her friend on that show like Jessica has powers and Trish like seeks out powers and then becomes kind of a villain Um, Valkyrie and Hela and Thor Ragnarok same thing like Valkyrie is really reluctant to embrace her power where Hela is like coming in and taking over so I found that interesting that that was where my brain went to write down these pairs of characters and like put them in opposition to each other almost in my notes I was like what's this about this is not like (laughs) Not really how I wanted to approach this, but interesting that that's that's where I go. Well, I think that the it, like in to some extent, movies like that are like sort of telling us, well, there can only be one woman with power, so of course it's going oh, to yeah. be a battle yeah. for it. Like, so you, you can't actually have this utopian society of multiple women with power, so we can experience the full breadth of it. It's like a it's like a cat fight battle to the death. I mean, that's so true, though. Like, if you think about in business, in politics, everywhere, you know, women are told and it's getting better, obviously, but like we have a long way to go, but told like there's only one spot or there's yeah. only one. And it's even worse for people of color. Um, and they have to fight over those crumbs as opposed to looking at like, hey, there are like nine other spots and they're all filled by white men. Like, why don't we right. take some of these assholes out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And it becomes... Um, a lot of women choose to, instead of aligning themselves with other women, they align themselves with the patriarchy and with the men in power. Like, I was thinking about The Handmaid's Tale as well. I'm not current on the show. I've stopped watching it a while ago. But in the book, in the first couple seasons of the show, it's like, obviously, the handmaids have basically no power in in this world. But then the wives, they have much less power than the men. But they have found that by aligning themselves with the men, they have like a sort of power that then they can wield over the handmaids. And that's the great lie that women tell ourselves I guess when you see that in like conservative politics as well like all these women sort of voting against their own interests because they think okay if I align myself with patriarchy and white supremacy like 
it'll work out for me in the end. And it's definitely not going to work out for them or any of us. I've even noticed that like people, there's this particular construction where some people I know or have seen, they have, um, like if they're complimenting one woman in politics, it's almost like they have to include like a specific dig at like another woman in politics. Like as if there's like a balance, you know, and if you... (laughs) Like, there can only be, like, one compliment or one, like, acknowledgement of power at a time. And they have to, like, take it away from another woman in order to give it to this one at this moment. Which I find, I'm like, you can you can enjoy what a woman, you know, you can admire and respect a woman without, like, reminding us that you don't admire and respect every woman. Like, I don't know what, like, what you're trying to do there, but it's really frustrating when I see it. And I'm not sure people are even consciously thinking of it in those terms, but that's kind of the message it sends, I think. I see that in, um, like, reviews of, um, like, movies and TV shows and stuff, too. Like, I saw a lot of reviews of I May Destroy You, Michaela Cole's show that were yeah. referencing, like, oh, we love this show. It's so much better than like Fleabag, I think was one of them. Oh, no. Like all these, it's like they have to put this like in opposition and it's like, can't you just say Michaela Cole's show is really fucking amazing without yeah. saying anything about it? <laughs> like what does that have to do with any other woman's show or anyone's yeah. show? Like it has nothing to do with anything. Those two shows are really don't have that much in common. I'm like, they're both, I really, really love and respect them both for very different reasons. I wouldn't feel as if I had to justify or compare them. You know, they're mm-hmm. both their own thing well yeah it's like every show made by a woman is the same as every other show made by a woman so Mm -hmm. as well just like like why do we do this kind of thing i don't know one superhero movie that is um that i just watched recently and that i actually discovered because i was looking up very a very specific term in google which was like matrilineal superpowers because that (laughs) was the way that i have it working in girl one i was trying to think of more examples of supernatural abilities or magical powers being handed down specifically by the mother like i thought of um darth vader which wasn't like perhaps the best example for what i was looking for but there's a movie called fast color i don't know oh i love that movie yeah yeah Yeah. and i think it's i love it it's so different from i think stereotypical superhero movies in a way that i think is just really cool not that i don't love stereotypical superhero movies as well but i think there can be so many different types of stories told with that like basic premise and seeing this story where it's so focused on the relationships between the women and like cares so much about like familial relationships between like a grandmother and a mother and a daughter and how their superpowers affect the bonds and ties between them more so than focusing really intensely on explosions or fight scenes even though it does have that aspect as well i just think it's a really cool kind of refreshingly different take on superpowers and specifically on women with superpowers and and this idea that it can be a gift that women hand down to each other 
versus like, you know, a radioactive spider bite or whatever. I thought it was really like emotionally strong and and really striking and lovely. It's a fantastic movie. I um, knew nothing about it and just kind of randomly picked it when I was trying to find something to watch on streaming one night and I was blown away. It's it's yeah. really phenomenal. And it's um it's another one where like her powers kind of seem like a curse at first and then she learns that they're not what she thought and the connection to the family and everything. But it's uh now I want to watch it again. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Why don't yeah, more people know about this movie? This. <laughs> when, when is yeah. it from? Not too long up, um, ago. Like 2018. Oh. Yeah. So not super long ago. It didn't get, I think when I looked it up that first time, it was like kind of lesser, like maybe it hadn't even come out yet. And it was like a little bit lesser known. And I've seen more and more people bringing it up, but I don't think it's gotten like a huge amount of buzz, which I think is too bad because it's, it's really like kind of an underdog movie that I think is that a lot of people I think would really, really love if they watched it. Um, So I'm always excited to meet people who have seen it. Yeah, and the the women are all African American, and the main character is yeah. played by Gugu Mbatha Raw, who's like a yeah. fantastic actress and like one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I, know. <laughs> I love everything she does. Yeah, um, yeah, fast color, so good. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that ASAP. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's a nice take on on women in power too. I think because yeah, she does kind of carry the burden of it at first and is like very distressed by it. And I mean, she's literally like on the run because there are people who want to use it for themselves. Um, and it's presented in like a kind of negative light from her perspective because yeah, it's it's this thing she has that makes people hunt her down and doesn't allow her to live the way she wants to. But I think the way she comes to terms with it, specifically through her family bonds, like passing down through generations of women is is handled so, so wonderfully. All right. So another example I wanted to talk about is, uh, which because it's compared to your book a lot, Sarah, is uh, yeah. The Power by Naomi Alderman. Kristen, have you read that also? I have, yes. Yes. So in this book, women have, it's been a while since I read it, but they have like electrical powers right they can like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> electrocute people and they it's this world where like women have power over over men because they're like physically dangerous and they're kind of abusing their power in some interesting ways <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting book because I think you can read it and have like such intensely different reactions to it. I think when I first read it, I was just like, I I do think it's a very feminist book, but I just had such a such a strong reaction like, oh, you know, this would be kind of amazing to be able to rebalance and to not feel quite so physically vulnerable in certain ways. Um, but it also, I, I think it's like a pretty subtle book or like it's a book that takes different stances because like you said, Lane, the women really do sometimes completely abuse their power and it's harder in those cases to feel as excited by it. Um, and it kind of made me grapple with this. I, I think there's kind of maybe a sense that like if women did have this physical power that put them not even out of balance with men, but like more physically powerful, like would they essentially become as oppressive as as men have been historically? That's what the men are afraid of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm like, let's test it out. Let's find out what happens. 
<laughs> yeah, right. And I and I really like exploring that too because I don't love depictions of women as being like inherently more virtuous. I find that like A, unrealistic and B, like really infantilizing and weird. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do really enjoy seeing a depiction of a world in which maybe women take back power in ways that aren't great because women are complex and flawed and we might make weird decisions as a group if we had this ability. But I don't know, a little part of me is like, is curious to know how it would really play out or like what kinds of decisions women would make in reality if we if we had this ability or like yeah, so so obviously I've had like a lot of thoughts about it since I read it, which I think is like a real strength of the book that you can read it and just go back and forth and look at it from all these different angles. Yeah, I think that it's it, it is a very interesting question, like how would it actually play out? But at the same time, the world that we live in is so far removed from that where like it would be enough if a woman was allowed to just write a book like this without people asking what would happen if an author wrote a book about men having power, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really, I, I don't know. I, I really do love and respect the book. I struggle with that kind of stuff too. Cause I mean, I like to write books about women behaving very badly and abusing power in various ways. And I'm always kind of like asking myself, not that I'm writing for like my audience is certainly not men like this, but there are certain men who would read something like that and be like, we'll see women are just yeah. as bad as men. Yeah. So like yeah, women yeah. are bad too. Like women assault people, women kill people, women. And it just, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's it very tricky as a writer. It does. You know, exploring dark motivations is some of the most interesting stuff you can do as a writer but it's like when you pit two female characters against each other for example that's where some really interesting stuff can happen but is that just playing right into their hands of people who are like see mm-hmm. you know like it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's very tricky but we can't make the women all nice no yeah i think that really clarifies like some of the reaction i had to it really hearing hearing both of you say that because it's like that fear yeah it's like that fear of worrying that people will misinterpret it and and will use it like this theoretical situation as proof that yeah that women are like unethical and and therefore what's the point of granting them power which is like a terrible response to have but um but I mean I've seen people say things like that then I think that might be like why I am not always sure how to react to it because it's like you want to have the freedom and the space to let women make terrible decisions on the page you want to like let them be villains let them be flawed let them be unlikable of course but like there's always this nagging voice at the back of your head like is this going to be used against me or is this going to be used as as proof of something um which I don't know that people writing male characters really have to worry about or or men I guess writing male characters have to worry about as much or at all I think we've talked about it on the podcast before but there's this sort of thought where people seem to forget like when you you write a novel, you're writing a story, it's fiction, it's not an endorsement of the behaviors contained inside of it. You know, like we're, we're trying to use storytelling to explore different 
issues and points and ideas. It's not like the story about murder is I wrote it because I love murder, you know, like, yeah, it's not how I love murder. Come on. (laughs) Okay, fine. I love murder, but that's not why I write about murder. (laughs) It's just like, it's, it's like, I don't know if, if male authors have the same, like if people are like, why, you know, like Lane, you were saying, um, all of the male characters in they never learn are so terrible. So, you know, is this really what the author thinks? Well, I mean, kind of, but also no, of course not. It's a story. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a sweeping statement about all of humanity. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like a little slice of, you know, your point of view on this thing. It's not like this is my personal philosophy and I celebrate all of the behaviors contained inside this work. People get confused about that. Well, this has been such an amazing discussion, Sarah. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now, maybe? Yeah, of course. I'm working on a project that is a little bit more autobiographical in some ways than either of the two books that I've written in the past, which is both really, really exciting and slightly scary. I mean, by autobiographical, I still mean it like has like a dozen layers between me and the story I'm telling versus like two dozen. Um, But it takes place in the Ozarks, which is where I grew up. And it follows a group of friends who discover houses, like a string of houses that have strange abilities that kind of affect whoever enters them and follows this dual timeline between what happens when they're teenagers and what happens when they reconvene, you know, many years later after many terrible things have happened. So it's still about, it's still about powers, but this time the houses have powers. So (laughs) I love it. I love it. it. Thanks. I can't wait to read that. Um, Could you tell us uh, where to find you on the internet? Yeah, of course. I'm on Twitter uh, as Sarah FM Radio, all one word with no characters or anything in there. Um, on Instagram, I'm just my full name, Sarah Flannery Murphy, also with no characters. And those are really the only two places where I'm interesting or active. Uh, oh, and my website. <laughs> yeah, my website is also sarahflannerymurphy.com. Not, not quite as interesting as the other two, but it's there. Awesome. And then, so you have this event coming up through Women and Children First. So do you want to tell everybody a little bit about that before we sign off? Sure. It is on June 8th at 7 p.m. Central, hosted by Women and Children First. I will be talking to Amy Gentry, whose works I really, really love. Um, I think especially her second book, I think, Last Woman Standing, Mm-hmm. has a, a revenge element to it as well. So I, I hope that maybe we can talk about that book a little bit in addition to talking about Girl One and just talking about women and revenge and power and all that good stuff. Well, I will be there. I'm already registered and I can't oh, wait to hear you, you guys. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And we will have a link to that event in the episode description, and then we'll be posting about it on our social media in the lead up as well. Um, And just general shout out to Women and Children First for being the best fucking bookstore (laughs) anywhere. I love it. I go like once a week. It's ridiculous. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you.
That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.